Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is a Redeemer, one who came to purchase us from slavery to sin, death, and hell, and the devil. Thank you that we have Jesus as our Redeemer today, as the one who uh, is our Master. I pray that we would uh, be redeemed from many other things in our lives. Initially, we've been redeemed from uh, the curse of sin and to salvation, but Lord, as we grow to be more and more like you, we need to continue to be redeemed from many things uh, in this world. Uh, so do this work, this good work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts that we would embrace your authority, uh, that we would follow your authority, that we would know that your authority is so good and precious. Uh, thank you that we, that we follow you, uh, Lord. Uh, the one who sent your one and only son into this world for us. Uh, we're not following authority that is, uh, that has remained separated from us, but we're following the authority of Jesus who became one of us, who took on flesh, who dwelt among us. And thank you, Lord, that we can, can follow you because you know what it's like to walk in our shoes. Uh, so, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts, open our minds, open your word to us today, that you would do the good work that you promised to do. Uh, work within us through this congregation, uh, that we would be a people that submit to your authority in Jesus' name. Amen. Each and every one of us, we follow authority. We all follow authority. Question is, is it a good authority or is it a bad authority? We all follow authority, but is it good or is it bad? I guess probably the most formative years are early childhood. Those that taught us as small children were an authority to us, and really, it formed who we are today. I know that some of you grew up in homes that weren't that great, so you learned some things in your formative years that were not very good. For me, I grew up in a really good home with good parents, so my formative years were good because the authority in my life taught me and showed me the right thing. Um, then throughout all of life, from, from early childhood through uh, childhood, teen years, and adulthood, we, we still hear authority, and we're all uh, following an authority. Uh, we continue to listen, to observe, and to follow authority. Teachers in school, uh, professors at university, um, pastors, authors, social media influencers, YouTubers, artists. So many voices of authority. And voices of authority that compete with each other and contradict one another. And then you mix the church and theologians, Christian podcasts, Bible studies, classes, books, who is the final authority amid all of the voices claiming authority within our world? Who is the final authority and who should we listen to and who should we follow today? Well, as true God and true man, Jesus, we confess that Jesus is our final authority. When he spoke, he spoke as one who had authority and he proved his authority as he acted as true God. In our lesson today, we see that he taught as one who had authority. In our lesson today, 
we see that he had authority even over unclean spirits. So true authority and power are found in Jesus. Amid all of the competing voices, all of the people who say, listen to me, I have the answers, read my book, listen to my podcast, Jesus is the final authority. So today I invite you to open your Bibles to the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. Today I'm going to be teaching through Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and following, verse by verse. So we'll be taking this passage verse by verse. So please follow along with me in your Bibles this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. That is, who is the they? They uh, are Jesus and the disciples. Went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. So the first thing that we notice in this passage is, is that Jesus participated fully in Jewish life. He participated in the rhythms of Jewish life. Although Jesus is God in human flesh, during his time on earth, he didn't consider himself better than others. Rather, he went to church with everybody else. He didn't say, because I'm God in human flesh, I know so much more than these people know. He entered into the worship life of his fellow Jews. He worshiped with them in the synagogue. He participated fully in the life of his people. In Luke's gospel, we, we find that when he went into the synagogue, he, he read from the prophet Isaiah. He read the assigned scripture for the day. And then we also see within Scripture that he was allowed by the synagogue ruler, we assume, to teach in the church or in the synagogue. He lived a Jewish life. He worshipped as a Jew. He didn't consider himself better than those people who go to synagogue. In this day and age, with people probably my age, probably some people older than me and younger, they kind of want to separate themselves from, from church because they think that those people in church, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of old-fashioned. They hold to some ideas that our world doesn't agree with anymore. So people want to separate themselves from church. and it's, it's, In a way, it's a kind of arrogance saying, I'm better than those people, so I'm not going to go there. And Jesus is true God. He, he didn't separate himself from the ordinary and mundane worship life of his people. He engaged with his people in worship. But he was no ordinary man living as a Jew among his people. Jesus entered our world as true God and true man. He came with a mission, and his mission was backed up with the authority of God himself. So they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to, to, to teach Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. What does this mean? Well, unlike other synagogue teachers, Jesus taught with authority. He taught with his own authority. In Jesus' day, the synagogue teachers would teach the traditions handed down from esteemed rabbis. They would expound upon the opinions of others. They would expound upon the opinions of rabbis who had interpreted the Old Testament. 
But Jesus spoke on his own authority as God. And the Greek word translated as authority is usually associated with the authority of God himself. So he spoke with the authority of God Almighty. Not as the teachers of the law who simply rehashed the opinions of rabbis. Matthew Henry sums up what it means that Jesus taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. He said, he taught as one who knew the mind of God. You see, Jesus is true God. Obviously, he knew the mind of God, so he taught as one who knew the mind of God. Jesus was commissioned to declare it. So when Jesus taught, he was teaching with the full force and authority of God Almighty. He wasn't rehashing the opinions of men. He was speaking as the Word made flesh. He was speaking with the authority of God Almighty. But Jesus' authority goes beyond authority to speak as God. Jesus not only has authority to teach truth, he also has authority over the forces of darkness in this world. So Jesus goes to the Capernaum synagogue. He teaches, but he teaches as one who has authority, not as the teachers of the law. Then verse 23, just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Listen to Jesus' authority in verse 25. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek, it says. So Jesus has authority. Authority to teach as God Almighty. And then authority over the forces of evil. The Gospels record Jesus' encounters with evil. With evil, demonic, impure spirits. Anyone who takes the Bible seriously cannot deny the existence of the devil or the existence of demonic spirits. The Bible describes our lives as humans as being lived amid these spiritual forces. A daily part of life is our encounter with impure spirits. So this is where Jesus' authority is really critical and important for us on a daily basis. Not only does he teach us the right stuff that we need to know, but he gives us the right stuff that we need to encounter every struggle that we face in this life. A daily part of life is our encounter with impure spirit. Some may object, I've never seen anything like the drama of demonic possession and exorcisms that we read about in the Bible. Probably true, maybe you have you've never seen it with your own eyes. But just because you've never seen it doesn't mean that it isn't true or isn't real. 
Just because you've never seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. A part of the history of Maple Park Church is engaging this community with the gospel. And a part of our engaging this community has included even exorcisms in the past here. We talked to Pastor Bob Hosmer. Anybody here when Pastor Bob Hosmer was here? A couple of you. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not true. Not witnessing something doesn't mean it didn't happen, and not seeing it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. You see, if, if our eyes really could be open to spiritual reality, we would be shocked at the activity going on around us. Absolutely shocked. And I wonder, maybe that's why Satan operates covertly. He isn't always noisy. Uh, you don't have a person jumping up in church every Sunday who's possessed by an evil spirit. Right? That doesn't mean he isn't working. One commentator wrote the following. It's on the screen. Many theologians deny the possibility of demon possession then and now. It is true that we today do not identify many such cases Perhaps the trouble is with us. We fail to recognize them. But we also know that Satan and his evil angels are sufficiently wise to adapt themselves to the times. Today we find their power displayed in the human attempts to undermine Scripture and its teachings. All these are the work of Satan. Since they attack us on all sides, we too turn to Christ. So he's not always working in this uh, Hollywood-style, uh, dramatic fashion. But he is at work, covertly, trying to lead us away from the authority of Jesus and his word. Leading us away from Christ and trusting in him. Many people deny the reality of spiritual forces. However, if our eyes could be open to the reality of spiritual forces in heavenly places, we would be shocked. We would be shocked not only by the activity of fallen angels, of impure spirits. We would be shocked by the activity of God's holy angels. Of God's holy angels fighting for his children. This happened in the Bible. And in 2 Kings chapter, I believe it's chapter, yes, chapter 6, verses 18 through 23. Some of us probably remember this account from Bible reading or from Sunday school. But one time when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, after consulting with his officers, he said, at such and such a place I want an ambush set. The holy man, that is God's prophet, sent a message to the king of Israel, watch out when you're passing this place because Aram has set an ambush there. So the king of Israel sent word concerning the place of which the holy man had warned him. This kind of thing happened all the time. The king of Aram was furious over all this. He called his officers together and said, tell me who was leaking information to the king of Israel, who was spying in our ranks. But one of his men said, No, my master, dear king, it's not any of us, it's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. 
He tells the king of Israel everything you say, even what you whisper in your bedroom. So God here is working supernaturally through his prophet Elisha. The king said, go and find out where he is. I'll send someone to capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he dispatched horses and chariots, an oppressive fighting force. They came by night and surrounded the city. Early in the morning, a servant of the holy man got up and went out. Surprise! Horses and chariots surrounding the city, the young man exclaimed. Oh, master, what shall we do? The young apprentice of Elijah thought that their doom was sure. He said, don't worry about it. There are more on our side than on their side. There are more on our side than on their side. Then Elijah prayed, O God, open his eyes and let him see. The eyes of the young man were open and he saw a wonder. The whole mountainside full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. When the Arameans attacked, Elisha prayed to God, strike these people blind, and God struck them blind, just as Elisha said. Then Elisha called out to them, not that way, not this city, follow me. So here he's taking the enemies, and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them into Samaria. As they entered the city, Elisha prayed, O oh God, open their eyes so that they can see where they are. God opened their eyes. They looked around. They were trapped in Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, Father, shall I massacre the lot? Not on your life, said Elisha. You didn't lift a hand to capture them, and now you're going to kill them? No, sir. Make a feast for them and send them back to their master. So he prepared a huge feast for them. After they ate and drank their fill, he dismissed them. Then they returned home to their master, the raiding bands of Aram didn't bother Israel anymore. There you have it, church. If our eyes could be opened to the reality of what God is doing, we would be shocked. It wasn't until this young apprentice of Elijah had his eyes opened that he could see the horses, the chariots, the army of God arrayed and assembled. If your eyes could be open, you would see God working and fighting for you. Do you believe it? I pray that you believe it today. How can you make it through this world? How can you make it through this life and not believe that God is for you? He's not against you, but he is for you, and he is fighting on your behalf. So yes, there are forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But there are forces of good, of God Almighty, of his might and authority. Here's the thing, church, when it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to matters of faith, the maxim, the rule, seeing is believing, rarely applies rarely applies. Rather, the maxim of faith ought to be believing is seen. Believing is seen. When he grants you faith, you see things. The 
human eye cannot see or comprehend. What no eye has seen, what no mind has conceived. We look with the eyes of faith, and we trust the one who is in authority. Yes, we know that there are things going on in our lives, but our eyes have been opened to recognize that Satan is afoot. Negative things happening within our world, but we know that Satan is moving. But we know this greater reality, that God is the final authority. Is seeing believing? No. But believing is seeing. Faith opens eyes that are more powerful than physical human vision. Do not close your eyes of faith. Have faith to recognize the reality of spiritual forces in heavenly realms. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Simple way of putting this is just put on Christ. Be clothed in Christ. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Listen to this. I hope this revolutionizes your thinking here, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your struggle today is not against people. Your, your struggle isn't against your children or your spouse, your coworker, or your neighbor. Your struggle in life today is against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All of our struggles are against this force that is at work. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, you need the authority of God's truth in your life, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, that is the righteousness of Christ, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. How? In the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You see, we need to see all of life from the standpoint of this struggle. It's a spiritual struggle that we're engaged in. Do you struggle at work? Do you struggle with family? Do you struggle with a neighbor? Do you struggle with the, the political climate of our crazy country? Do you struggle with your church? What's behind all of that struggle? May your eyes be open to see. Are you seeing those struggles only from a human point of view, or do you see that there is an unseen spiritual battle going on? I pray that you and I will have our eyes open to see that there is an unseen spiritual battle 
foot in our world. And who can silence and seize that evil authority? It's only Jesus. After Jesus silenced and cast out the inspired spirit within the Capernaum synagogue, we read the following, verse 27 of Mark chapter 1. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching, and with what? Authority. Remember that word for authority is usually associated with God. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. This is the good news of our message today, church. The impure spirits obey Jesus. Does it mean they're going to be saved on Judgment Day? No. They will not be saved on Judgment Day. What an amazing hope this passage gives us in our struggle. Our struggle, brothers and sisters, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. At the root of our struggle are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. You're not left to fight your battles alone. Whatever the battle is, sometimes we think it's just an issue with uh, something that God probably wouldn't know. God's concerned. God's in it. You're not left to fight your battles alone. You have Jesus with you and in you. There's no force in heaven or on earth that has authority against Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate and the final authority. I believe the Apostles' Creed, which we will confess today, helps us confess this reality every week. I believe the Apostles' Creed for us is a, is a powerful tool. Every week in the Apostles' Creed, we confess the defeat of Satan. Do you know that? Every week, we corporately spit in the eye of the devil with the words of the creed. In particular, with these words, he descended into hell. Some of you are nodding your head because you know what's going on here. You know what happened when Jesus descended into hell. Sometime after the death of our victor Jesus, he marched into hell. What did Jesus do in hell? It's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a mystery to, to us, and in many ways it is a mystery because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it, but it does tell us something about it. What did he do in hell? Well, first, the reference to hell in this passage is not the final hell of Judgment Day. The hell confessed in the creed is the prison called Hades, in which the unrepentant are in torment awaiting the final judgment. Jesus speaks of the hell of Hades in Luke chapter 16. Jesus says in Luke chapter 16 that between the hell of Hades and paradise is a great gulf that's been fixed. Those in hell cannot go to paradise, nor can those in paradise go to hell. This gulf has been fixed in place. However, according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus descended 
into this hell and preached to the spirits in prison. Jesus went down there, I believe, and what many theologians and what we teach in the Lutheran church is that he went down there to announce his victory over the forces of evil. Jesus descended into hell not to suffer. All the suffering that needed to be accomplished for our salvation happened upon the cross. Upon the cross, he suffered to take away our sin. Upon the cross, he crushed the head of Satan. The cross was a victory. And he descended into this place, the hell of Hades, to declare his victory over the forces of evil. We view Jesus' descent into hell as his first step of his exaltation. For those of you who remember confirmation class, you probably had to memorize the steps of his humiliation and the steps of his exaltation. Jesus went to hell as victor. Jesus is the ultimate and final authority in your life. He defeated the enemy upon the cross. He defeated the enemy in his descent into hell. He defeated the enemy in his resurrection, in his ascension. And he continues to defeat the forces of the enemy as he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And once and for all, on the day of judgment, he will cast Satan, every impure spirit, and all the unrepentant into the final place of torment and judgment in the lake of fire. Jesus is the ultimate authority. May our eyes be open to this reality. And we, may we be changed and see everything, everything in this church, everything in the community, everything that we see going on in the world from this standpoint of Jesus' authority. Now, Satan still rages today, though we confess that his doom is sure. His day will come to an end, but still he, he rages today. And what does he say? Well, Satan might say to you that you're not loved. You're not loved. He might say you're not forgiven. You're not worth anything. You're a loser. You're worthless. And then his favorite, you're going to hell. But Jesus has come to say you are loved. You are forgiven. I died for you. I won the victory over hell. I am raised for you. I am with you always. My victory is your victory. Love this. It's called the breakfast benediction from our pastor at our church in Pasadena, California. I meet with a number of different pastors on a regular basis. And he shared with us this breakfast benediction that uh, you might want to get this and remind yourself of it. It's meant to be uh, said every morning as you start your day. That's why it's called the breakfast benediction. I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I am the beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. I don't have to hurry. I don't have to worry. I can trust my friend Jesus. 
and share his love with the world. Church, you are not what you do. The world's going to say that you are what you do. The world's going to say that you are what you have. And people are going to say all sorts of things about you. And probably the person who says the worst things about you is yourself, right? But that's not who you are. You are the beloved of God. It's who you are today. Nobody can take that from you. So today, you don't have to hurry. You don't have to worry. Trust me, you don't have to worry. You can trust Jesus, the final authority, who is your friend. And you can share his love with the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. Help us to live in it, to trust it. Help us to listen to your authority amid all the competing voices of authority in our world today. Help us to see that which exists and we can't see with our eyes. So help us to believe that we may see with the eyes of faith. But ultimately to see you as our victor over the forces of Satan. Help us to trust your authority in our lives today and all the days of our lives. Strengthen this church. Continue to use this church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.